0: This podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. As we work our way through our new series, in the book of Acts. So if you are, as I was gonna say, if you are here this morning, obviously you're here this morning because you're sitting there. By the very fact you are here this morning, you are here right at the beginning of our brand new story. I'm really excited to be kicking this off. I'm not sure how long this series is going to take. It's one of those, we'll make a start, but now we know exactly how many verses are in the book of Acts. In fact, uh, let me just do it. Where is Sandeep? Has he gone? What was the answer to the question? How many verses are there in the book of Acts? Words. words. Oh, okay. I'll do. Uh, okay, I was hoping it was verses. Because um, if we break it down by the number of verses we're looking at this morning, you could be thinking we might be here for the next millennium. Yeah. That may be true. But I think it's unlikely we may pick up some pace. Uh, as we go. The book of Acts is full of God at work. It's a great account of the beginnings of the early church, of the kingdom of God advancing into new territory. It has lots to teach us. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm hungry to learn. Are you as well? Are you looking forward to learning from the book of Acts? I most certainly am and have really enjoyed spending some time in it. But listen, there are challenges that Scripture will bring us. There will be some challenges for us as a community of people. For us as a church, this book is going to challenge us. I'm warning you now. And also for us as individuals, there are going to be some challenges that are going to come to us and we're going to think, Oh, God's word is challenging us. I'm warning you now. But friends, that's good, isn't it? We want to be challenged, we want to be provoked, we want to be stirred and equipped by God's word. And so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I, I trust you are as well. We may well intersperse this series with a few other things. There, are one or two other subjects we're looking at together, Think it'll be great to get those in before we finish Acts. And so we, we may mix and match a little bit, uh, but that's okay. The bulk of our preaching over the next little while will be from the book of Acts. So if you want something to, to read uh, in the however many days it is till summer, then uh, I want to encourage you, read through the book of Acts and ask God to speak to you. And we'll be spending some time in it. On a Sunday, so the Book of Acts is actually a second volume of a two-volume series. So it's written by by Luke, and um, and we see right at the beginning of Acts he says, "In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach." And so Luke refers straight back to the previous writing of his, his previous book, which is his gospel, the Gospel of Luke, and he's now writing part two, if you like, and he's writing to uh, this person, Theophilus. I was talking to, to James's dad yesterday, we trying to work out who Theophilus was. Uh, you know, there's different theories about, but um, we need to understand Luke has already written uh, about. Well, he says, is not he, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now what Luke is writing is about what happens next. This continues the story. So are we ready to dive in? Let's read some scripture together. So if you've got a Bible, you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 1, please. We'll read uh, the first, let's read the first 11 verses together. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you now for your goodness, your love, your presence with us. And we thank you for your words. We thank you for this this book we call the Bible. We thank you for your your words to us. And we pray now as we spend these moments uh, in these verses this morning that, God, you would speak to us by your Spirit. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear all that you have for us this morning, both as individuals and as a church community together. God, we say, would you speak? Would you speak to us from your word? We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to start with, Luke wants to underline to us, wants to remind us, wants us to make us understand the importance of this fact. And it's this. Jesus is alive. Amen? He really wants us to get hold of this and not content with what he said previously. Bear in mind, he's already said this once in his previous book, in his gospel. Luke has already talked about this, but he wants to hammer home the truth. Jesus is alive. And friends, it's crucial that we get this. We need to allow this very truth to sink in and to sink in deep because if we do so if we really do that it will change everything think about it for a moment this very truth that jesus is alive changed everything for the apostles isn't it for those disciples suddenly everything changed because of that that truth and it's the fundamental rock on which the Christian faith rests. Without it, you know what? We might as well go home. Comfy though the seats are, good though the band is, without that fundamental truth, we are nothing more than a social club. We're not. If, if Jesus isn't alive, then that's all we are. We're a group of people who enjoy Christmas night every now and then. That's about it. But listen, with this truth, with the reality of this truth burning in our hearts, everything changes. Because Jesus is alive. And that means we are the people of God. Amen? That means you are the people of God. Together, God is with us and he's doing something because Jesus is alive. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. So bear in mind that these appearances that Luke refers to were over a period of 40 days. And they were to many, many people in addition to the apostles. It wasn't just this small group that Jesus appeared to. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that on one occasion, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. This is a lot of people that were seeing that Jesus is alive. He's truly miraculous. So let's just pause here for a second. For the early church, these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus were vitally important to validating the resurrection. They demonstrated to them the truth that Jesus is alive he appeared to many people not just individuals not just ones and twos but groups as well as we've said already over 500 people in one go these were no hallucinations these weren't just the wistful thinking of a few deluded individuals friends this is real fact Jesus is alive alive Amen? Amen? Amen. It was over an extended period of time, about six weeks. He eats with them. You know, this is no ghostly apparition. You know, he's enjoying food with them. Jesus is alive, really, properly, truly, 100% alive. And what did he talk about with them? Well, Luke tells us. He talked about the kingdom of God. And this is worth noting, as well. You see, churches like ours, uh, and there are many, both in this city and, and in this nation, churches like ours have spent many years talking about restoring the church, bringing the church back to what God intended the church to be where we've lost it along the way. We've talked about restoring the church to what God intended. And there are things that we have done that God has spoken to us about that have helped us to do that. So the sort of worship we had this morning where different people were contributing, where there were spiritual gifts at work, different songs were started and... You know, It was that sort of very informal, I think Paul described it as an informal time, which is a great choice of words, a good description, an informal time of us worshipping God together. That would have been unheard of 50 years ago. The church wasn't like that. It was much more formal, much more rigid and set. And churches like ours have talked about restoring something to the church that we believe have been lost over the years. And rightly so. The church needed restoring. And, you know, I don't think we've got there yet. I think there are still things that God is restoring to us that we've maybe lost or or missed or he's speaking to us about having a fresh emphasis in. That is good and it's right. I'm in no sense critical of that whatsoever. I'm very, very grateful for it. I grew up in a more... Uh, I, I guess you describe it a more traditional church. Uh, and when God led me uh, into being part of a, uh, a more charismatic church like, like, like us, I, I was very grateful for his leading. And there's still more for us to do. And uh, we need to make sure we don't take our eye off the ball and think we've somehow made it and got there. We haven't. But listen, I think now it's time for us to take the message of the kingdom outside the four walls of the church. It's right that we're restoring something that that God says, you know what, there's some things that they're putting right here. And there are. And it's right that we do that. But I think one of the things that we need to restore to the church now is an emphasis on the message of the kingdom of God. And that is, yes, it's, us, it's for us here as we gather on a Sunday, but it's for those who are not here. It's for those people who are currently not sitting in the empty seats because maybe we haven't invited them yet. It's for those people who haven't heard of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, haven't heard about the kingdom of God. God is restoring to us now an emphasis on the message of the kingdom to those who are far from him. And it's a message of love, of life and of hope that our world desperately needs to hear. And so I don't think it's either or I don't think it's either restoring the church or a message of the kingdom. I think it's both ends. But as we work our way through the book of Acts, there'll be some things that are pertinent to us as a group of believers that are relevant for us as a local church that will help us to restore the church to what God really intended her to be. But as well as that, we find the message of the kingdom advancing and reaching people who are far from God and needing to hear about his good news. Does that sound good? I think it sounds good. I'm really looking forward to it. So if you've got your Bible there, you might see in verse 4 that Luke tells us, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. I find it fascinating that Luke recalls this as a command is how he describes it. Now, there are a number of commands in Scripture, aren't there? This is one of them. It's an interesting one, really. While Jesus was with them on one occasion, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. That's a strange command, isn't it? There are lots of commands about loving God, about loving one another about how we should live our lives in a way that that honours God. This seems a strange one. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. But it's a command that Jesus gave them. Listen, before we're too quick to apply this to ourselves, let's understand the context here. Remember, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon the whole church. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given to all believers. Pentecost happens in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. We're still in the opening verses of Acts 1. So Jesus had spoken of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament had looked forward to the coming of the Spirit on all believers. But it was still a future event yet to happen. That's not the case for us. We now look back and see this happen and see the good that we live in now as a result So Jesus tells his disciples to wait. And the reason is they need to wait for power. And this is so relevant for you and me. The instruction to them and to us is this. Don't do things in your own strength. Rely on the power of the Spirit. Don't do things in your own strength. Rely on the power of the Spirit. Or we might say, echoing Paul's instructions to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. The disciples could have been tempted to head out and to start communicating the good news that they were now carrying in their hearts that Jesus had entrusted to them. They knew that he was risen. They knew that he had spoken to them. And they could have just started to go. But Jesus said, wait. So their instruction was to wait. I think the Lord's instruction to us is similar but different. His instruction to us is be filled with the Spirit and go. We don't need to be told to wait. We need to be told to go. Yes, we need to receive the Spirit. Yes, we need to be empowered by the Lord. Freshly empowered By the Holy Spirit, but if Jesus were here this morning and talking to us, he might put it like this: "Receive and go. Receive and go." So the gift that Jesus is promising, to be clear, is the Holy Spirit, and Jesus didn't want his followers operating outside of the authority and power that the Holy Spirit was to give. So the question for for us, for you and I, is do we always operate under his leading, under his power? Are we always listening for his voice? Is he leading us in the way that he should? Now, I find it fascinating that Jesus uses the word "baptized." Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's the same word that the Bible uses to describe the immersion, the totally soaking of a new believer in water to signify their new life in Christ. So in Scripture, water baptism is, is a totally immersing thing. You get thoroughly drenched. There's no doubt about it. You, know, you come up out of the water dripping wet. You know, There's no, there's no like... I think I got wet, or maybe I got in the pool, not sure. No, no, you know. You know, you come out dripping wet. You can't doubt it. And I find it fascinating that Jesus uses the same word talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. In the same way you, you were baptized in water, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's God's promise. You know when you've been baptised by the Holy Spirit, there will be some evidence. Now, this is different for different people. That's okay. But the point that I believe Jesus is making here is that you'll know. You'll know. Just as you know if you get completely wet. You'll know if the Holy Spirit has come to you in this way. So what does Jesus promise and why? Well, in verse 8, Jesus promises power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And there's a clear and immediate result of this power. Do you see it there? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is about power to witness, power to bring the message of the kingdom to those who are far from God, power to extend God's kingdom, power to be a kingdom ambassador. So what Jesus is saying here is not about having vibrant meetings, about feeling his presence, or even speaking in tongues, good though all those things are, and I'm an advocate of every one of them. What Jesus is talking about here is witnessing. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, I know the Holy Spirit does other things too. I get that. But I know that he leads us into all truth. I know that he is our comforter. I, I know that he speaks to us. I know he brings gifts to us. There are lots of things the Holy Spirit does. But here, in these verses, what Jesus is talking about is witnessing. About extending his kingdom. Telling others about the good news Of Jesus. So, the main outcome that Jesus is referring to here, I know it's not the only one, but what Jesus is referring to in these verses, the main outcome of being filled with the Spirit is power to witness, power to extend God's kingdom, to demonstrate His love, to speak of His goodness. And Jesus lists four areas here where He expects His disciples to be that witness says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you might say that this is power to be a witness locally, regionally to both your friends and your enemies and internationally. Another way of putting it, I think, might be this. This is about power to be a witness to people you know, to people you don't know, and to the ends of the earth. People you know, people you don't know, and the ends of the earth. And the primary reason in this passage why you're filled with the Holy Spirit is in order that you might be a witness in order that you might extend God's kingdom, in order that you might bring that message of life and hope and goodness of God's love to those around you. That's the point that Jesus is making here. God calls you to be a witness. A witness is somebody who tells what they saw, describes what they have seen. Someone they need to give an account of what has happened. And the same is true here. Friends, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to know this book backwards or even just forwards. You don't need to know where every verse is that speaks into every situation. All that you need to do as a witness is to be able to tell what Jesus has done for you. Tell your story to tell what difference he has made in your life. And if you can't remember every verse that's relevant, that's okay. Don't let it stop you. Because your friends don't need to know every verse and where it is and and have a Bible study to start with. They need to hear your story. They'll get to understanding where the verses are and what that means. That will come in time. But your friends who know you just want you to be a witness. To tell your story of what's happened in your life. So let's talk about these categories for a moment. People you know, people you don't know, and to the ends of the earth. Firstly, people you know. Let me ask you this. Are you being a witness to people you know? Think about the people in your life. Maybe they're people in your family, maybe your friends, perhaps your work colleagues, maybe fellow students that you study with, maybe your neighbours. Think about some of these people for a moment and answer this question for me. Do they know about your Christian faith? Have you ever told them? Is Jesus such an important and central figure in your life that that is really clear to people around you? Or for you, is it more of a Sunday morning, Wednesday evening thing that doesn't so much affect the rest of everyday life for you. Are you being a witness? I was reading an article just this last night and uh, an Anglican uh, vicar and writer was posing this question. He said, said this, when you and your neighbors are stood before the Lord on the last day, What will you say when faced with their lost eternity they turn to you and ask why you never said anything? Will your answer be oh it just wasn't culturally appropriate that it was maybe just too uncomfortable? I want you to imagine that scene with not just one neighbour but a whole town or borough of people heading for a lost eternity. Now listen we don't to be motivated by guilt in this. It's quite a heavy way of putting it. But I like the point he's making. Remember the good news here. What the point that Luke is making in these verses is this. You don't have to do it in your strength. It's not about the strength that you have, it's about the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises. Power to witness, the power of the Holy Spirit. So just in the same way as when you and I might pray for somebody who's sick, we might go to somebody who's in pain and offer to pray for them, expecting that as we step out, as we pray, God will come. As we pray, God will do something. We do that, don't we? We do that on a Sunday. We might say at the end of a meeting, if you're sick this morning, we'd we'll have to pray for you. I think we should do that this morning, actually. We'll come back to that. Remind me, Paul, if I forget. <laughs> but we do that. We, we, we step out. We lay hands on somebody. And we start to pray, expecting that God's going to do something. I wonder, do we speak to our friends in the same way? Do we start to speak, tell our story, tell what Jesus has done for us? And as we do so, expect that God will do something expect that the Holy Spirit will be at work in their heart in that moment. I think we should. Because what does the Bible say? What does Jesus promise? Power to be a witness. Power is not just about having the right words. It's not just about being a good communicator. Paul said, didn't he, it wasn't with wise and eloquent words that he shared the gospel. It was with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus is promising to us here. And he promises it to you and to me this morning. That's good, isn't it? So with that in mind, are you making the invitation? Are you making the ask? When was the last time you invited somebody to church on a Sunday? When was the last time I did that? You see, the other exciting thing here is, just as the Holy Spirit is empowering you to be a witness, the Holy Spirit is also about working their hearts, ready to listen, ready to hear, preparing the ground, going before you. So particularly when you hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, now will be a good time to tell them about your faith. Now would be a good time to offer to pray for their family now would be a good time to invite them to Alpha or whatever it might be the Holy Spirit says to you. That you can be sure that that's because he's gone ahead of you. He's already working in their heart. He's just asking you to mop up what he started. It's not that you have to initiate it. It's actually that he's initiated something already. He's just saying to you, can you get in the back of what I've started? Because as you do that, God comes with power to people you know. But also we have a responsibility to people you, people we don't know. That's the second category, people you don't know. We have a responsibility together with other churches in this city of reaching people in this city with the good news of Jesus. We have a responsibility together with other church communities of reaching people where you live. Telling them about the good news of the gospel. So it may be something we organize as a church. It might be some advertising we do or leafleting or going out on the streets and showing the gospel or running great events like Alpha we've talked about this morning. But listen, it's not just a corporate activity that we should expect the church to do. And by the way, whenever we say the church should be doing that, what we're really saying is we should be doing that because... You and I, we're the church, aren't we? So it's not a something we do corporately. This is something we should all be doing individually. Again, in the power of the Holy Spirit. witnessing to those people that we don't know. It may be a fleeting exchange as you order a coffee. It may be intentionally building relationship with someone far from God, who you don't particularly know, but God has put on your heart. Again, the power and the presence of the Spirit is available to help us. And as before, we should be listening for His prompting, the quiet voice of Him speaking to our heart and for us following His lead. And remember how you've learned to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and having a word and knowledge for somebody as you pray for them on a Sunday? You can do the same thing on a Monday. Maybe different language you'd use, but same gift, same power, same Holy Spirit. You know, all of us live around thousands of people far from God, thousands of people. So how are we going to reach them with the gospel? I've just been so challenged this week as I've been looking at this passage afresh, thinking, what do I need to be doing? What do I need to be doing? What should we be doing? to reach people around us that we don't yet know but we do know that they're heading for an eternity far from god what am i doing about that what are we doing about that what is god saying to us the final category which we need to get oh crikey, we need to get to quickly because time is, is rushing away is the ends of the earth if we take seriously the call to our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, our place and places near us, be it people that we like and get on with or those that we don't, (laughs) people close and in our region. If we take that seriously, we can fall into the trap of thinking, but you know what? I've got no capacity left for the ends of the earth. (laughs) Where's the time and energy left for that? And I can understand it seems such a huge task. But if we say that, if we say it's not for us, then not only is that unbiblical, but it's disobedient. Because God calls us to have a heart for, a passion for, and a desire to reach the ends of the earth with his kingdom. God's heart and plan has always been for the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Recognize that verse? That's always been God's plan. And he calls us to be part of it. We should always have an end-of-the-earth perspective, reaching the nations. So, if all this is true, and if you agree with all that I've said, what should we be doing about it? As we begin to wrap up, what are our actions out of this? Increasingly, when I'm in meetings, I'm thinking, okay, we've made a decision. What are we going to do about it? What are our actions? What needs to happen as a result? And I was thinking here, well, you know, what actions need to happen here? What needs to happen as a result of understanding the truth of these few verses in the beginning of Acts? What should we be doing? Number one, let those who are close to us both see by our lives and hear by our words, the gospel. Now those who are close to us, both see and hear the gospel. Number two, let's always be listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to bring his words into a conversation. Be that with people you know or those that you don't know. Number three, let's be intentionally making friends with those who are far from God, not as a project, but out of a deep heart and love and care for those who are far from God. Number four, before Jesus spoke, he allowed his heart to be moved by compassion. We see that in the Gospels. Jesus was moved by compassion. So let's do the same. Look for ways for God to enlarge your heart for those who are far from him. Look for ways for God to enlarge your heart for those who are far from him. Two more, number five. Let's be doing all we can to be part of reaching the nations for Christ. That may be praying, it might be giving, for some it might be going. But let's make sure that we're Doing at least one of those things, if not more than one. Let's have a heart for reaching the nations for Christ. I'm talking to a, a couple, a family really, at the moment. Uh, they've got an intention and a, a heart to uh, to move to Cambodia to plant a church in a place called Siem Reap. I've spoken of it here before, place I've visited and have, have got to know, and. Um, as we're working with them and thinking about sending them in the next little while. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about that here on a Sunday and we want to be um, praying for them and I'll introduce you to them when, when the time is right. But it may be that we can help support them in what they do. It's a nation that God is increasingly putting on our hearts and uh, doors are opening to us. But let's be having a heart for the nations for God filling the nations, the whole earth with his glory. And number six, what's our action? It's this. Be filled with the Spirit. Receive and go. Receive and go. The first few verses of this book are all about being sure of the resurrection, about being filled and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. These are some of Jesus' last words. Now we put a lot of emphasis, don't we, on someone's last words. You hear of someone passing away, you might say, what were their last words? Some of Jesus' last words here about receiving and going in his power. Receiving the Spirit and taking his message of the kingdom to those who don't yet know it. He said this and then was taken from their sight back to heaven. So that sounds pretty clear to me. Receive and go. Let's stand together. Perhaps the band could come back please. I'd love us to, uh, to pray as we, as we finish. I want us to pray for a fresh heart of compassion for those who don't know Jesus yet this is a subject where we could think oh there's so much to do we could feel sort of down about that or we could think oh it's, you know, there's so much to do oh, I must do it and we can get sort of guilt tripped into some of these things I don't want that to happen for us this morning I want us to be motivated by God's grace and equipped by his power But just as Jesus had his heart moved with compassion, I'd love us to pray that he would move our hearts this morning. You up for that? And then as a result of that, to be freshly filled and equipped and empowered to be a witness. Because I know that I need that. And my guess is that you do too. Yeah? So let's pray. We're going to lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this book of Acts that we're going to spend some time in now. Lord, for these first few verses that Luke sets the scene. We thank you, Jesus, that you are risen. And we thank you for the clarity we have here about receiving your spirit and going in his strength and his power. And so this morning, Lord, we say, would you move our hearts? Would you do something in us that gives us a fresh compassion for those who are lost, for those who are far from you? Lord, would you do something in our hearts that moves us afresh today? Lord Jesus, just as you were moved by the people you saw as as helpless, really. God, I pray you'd do something in our hearts that would be so moved by compassion for those who are far from you. And Lord, I pray right now that you would fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit and that you would equip us to be a witness for you in your power. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? God, would you come? Would you sweep right across this room? Would you equip us afresh? Would you speak to us? Would we learn to hear the voice of your spirit? Would you fill us with your power in order that we might be a witness for you? And God, I pray right now for fresh boldness. Just as I was praying this week and looking at this passage, I just felt the Lord speak to me about a boldness that he wanted to give us. So Father, I want to pray right now that God, you would make us bold for you. That you would give us a boldness to speak of you, to demonstrate your goodness and your love, to not be afraid of speaking your name and who you are to those around us. God, I pray as a church, you would make us bold in advancing your kingdom that, God, we'll be bold in taking your good news of the gospel, of your message of the kingdom to those around us. Lord, in every circumstance and situation, we say, God, make us bold. Fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, just as it was said of some early believers that they turn the place upside down, I pray it will be said of us because we're bringing your kingdom And it's glorious message to this city, to the villages and towns around us, to this nation and the nations. God, would we be able to play our part in all you're calling us to? We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's worship the Lord together as we finish. Thanks, Adam.